welcome to AIJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. Folks, we are still in season 20, and we are looking back into the archives of AIJ Cast. And on this episode, we revisit part of my 2021 conversation with Avery Sharp. Avery is a playwright, actor, and improviser, and he spoke to us from his home right here in Atlanta. Avery Sharp, welcome to AIJ Cast. Thank you for having me. I'm so incredibly excited to be here and that we're connected. It's awesome. We're going to end up talking about acting, theater, and faith. And I love the way that you describe that with this metaphor of the Russian nesting dolls. So why don't we start there and take that image and play with it a little bit. Unpack that image for us, literally and metaphorically. Yeah. So I was trying to conceptualize exactly how these intersections work in my life. Hmm. And I would say that faith is probably the biggest component of uh, who Avery is. And there's all these other facets that exist in Avery, right? Like justice and my race and my artistic endeavors. And so I envisioned it like that faith was the biggest Russian doll Mm -hmm. and the other smaller dolls are kind of the other facets that make up Avery. And so I thought it was a very helpful image that was given to me, I guess, to understand how I kind of see the world. And when I approach an artistic endeavor or even just a person, I like to use those order of operations in terms of how I interact with my art or with people or anything. So at the risk of painting you into a corner here, because I love that image, is there a second doll or, you know, then does the metaphor break down or does it become like a Venn diagram or what? Uh... Yeah, I think at some point every metaphor breaks down, right? It should, right? Yeah, I think so, because it's trying to describe something with words that is kind of just a phenomenon, right? Yeah. I'm sure there are other dolls and I would have to think a little bit more to understand the implications or how to draw that out because it's talking about identity right and right the biggest parts of our identity and i would say that faith to me is the biggest part and there's close seconds like maybe race right or the fact that i identify as a man and i think those things are important but i think they're all just smaller dolls that are attached to faith because out of faith i know what it is to be a black man right right because of just what my worldview is in right. terms of how I fit into the bigger scheme of things. Yeah, I, it's beautiful. I, 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 the image for me that comes to mind, it's less of a metaphor and more of just kind of a framework, is a friend of mine who really encouraged me to think about not being called to be a pastor, which is was my identity for many, many, many years, and is still kind of part of that identity for me, but not to see the entirety of my calling is to be a pastor, but the entirety of my calling is to be me, to be Marthame. And then there's all these elements to it. And being a pastor is one of those. Being a producer is another one of those. Being a musician, being a father, being an artist, being an improviser, all that. It's almost like you're describing that Russian nesting doll, and then it becomes this weird Venn diagram that is like, you know, four-dimensional chess. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's really no other way to see it. And I think Mm. when we try, I think a lot of suffering and pain and insecurity and burnout comes from trying to attach yourself to one facet of your identity right. as opposed to trying to walk in the fullness of who you've been created to be, yeah. which are all these different facets, and they're all beautiful. It seems that when you put weight on one place more than the other, 
you're not being your complete self. And I think a lot of us feel that emptiness sometimes Mm -hmm. of not being fulfilled in a way. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, it, it almost speaks to the breakdown of kind of a hierarchical identity. Right. Well, first I'm this and then I'm this and then I'm this and then I'm this. And you refer to order of operations and it's a lot messier than that. And it should be messier than that because we don't always know why we're reacting in a certain way to something and can unpack it later. And it's probably three or four of those strands Mm -hmm. that are coming together in a way that says, this is how I should respond to this reality. Yeah, absolutely. The other image that I love is uh, it's a Brian McLaren image who talks about faith and he talks about how we often look to this biblical thing of the foundation, the cornerstone on which everything is built. Mm -hmm. And if you knock out the cornerstone, the whole building crumbles. Yeah. He says, well, what about something that's a little more robust, like a spider web? It seems more fragile than a building, but the reality is, is spider webs have, you know, eight or 10 nexes that they connect to different things randomly. And if you break one off, well, it'll get hooked to something else. Mm. And so it's a lot more flexible. It blows with the wind a lot easier. There's not like one spot you can take out and make the whole thing crumble. I thought that was just a beautiful image. That is wonderful. Absolutely. I've had those moments in in my life where it seems like maybe my faith is maybe not as strong Mm. in my identity as maybe my race or my gender or something like that, right? Mm. And I think sometimes those other parts of my identity help still anchor my faith a lot of times, even when that part itself is kind of shaky. So you're right. Absolutely. That image breaks down because again, those different anchor points are all just as important, right? Well, now that we've completely demolished every metaphor, we can get (laughs) on to talking about you. (laughs) Okay. So I would love you to tell me the story of how you got bit by the acting bug. Yeah. So I kind of grew up pretty much jock. And I didn't start that way. Actually, I was very, very timid child growing up. Hmm. I pretty much stuttered so bad that I wouldn't speak. I had a lot of health issues. I had chronic asthma. This is pollen season right now in Georgia. And when I was a kid, it would pretty much kill me. My eyes would swell up, almost shut. I would, you know, the whole nine. It was just really horrible. Just a lot was put up against me. But my mom, mm, praise that woman because she is so tenacious. And I'm sure there was prejudice and some racism in terms of finding the adequate care for me Mm -hmm. when I was Mm -hmm. younger. But my mom, again, is so tenacious. And my dad, too, just like doing everything that they could to make sure that I was healthy. Hmm. And uh, part of that is what she found a doctor, Dr. Quentin. I remember her to this day. And she was like, look, there's nothing wrong with Avery. He just needs to lean into being outside, actually, right? Hmm. And opening up my lungs, right? So then my mom put me in sports. And then my life pretty much took off from there, right? Hmm. I think it improved my confidence. I think it improved my discipline. I think it opened up my lungs and physically. By the time I got to high school, I was super jock. I was playing football. I uh, wrestled. I did track. I was doing all that stuff. And that was my plan. I was going to do sports. I was going to be a pediatrician. I was going to have football pay for my school. And that was the plan. So as the legend goes... It was my senior year of high school. I had a friend who uh, was in this play because she was in drama. And, you know, in high school drama, there's never enough boys, right? So she invited me. 
and it was Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat being a person of faith. I was like, awesome. I didn't know that theater could do this. And then when I actually got into the show itself, it bit me. It bit me really, really hard. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is life. This is amazing. I want to do this all the time. And people will make me do this as a job and give me money for it. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> and so that's basically where I went. I completely changed courses. I went to Kennesaw State to get my undergrad. And it was such a really wonderful awesome experience and I've gotten to have the most fulfilling experiences in my life meeting cool theater people Mm. and having cool theater conversations and getting to really tap into what I think that God has called me to Mm. which is to create and to build bridges and to have empathy for others and I say this all the time when I teach theater classes that we are professional empathizers right yeah which It's such a gift, you know, because I think that's like one of the cornerstone uh, characteristics of God himself. And so to be able to also walk in that way that God does in a lot of what he does Mm. is so fulfilling and invigorating to me. That notion of empathy and the embodied empathy, yeah, which is a deeper level, I think, as somebody who is relatively new to the world of theater myself— I assumed acting was lying. And somebody said, you know, I'm an actor. That means I'm a professional liar. Right. (laughs) And there's an element of that, but there really is this, I mean, I I think for people who really inhabit the art form, there's a deeper level of actually inhabiting the character, inhabiting the performance in a way that makes it emotionally taxing Mm -hmm. and rewarding at the same time. And I'm curious, I mean, you've been at acting for a little while now. I'm curious, what what am I missing as somebody who has not had as much exposure to theater as you have had in that regard? You pretty much nailed it on the head. I think the biggest misconception is that we're lying. And as a professor really eloquently put it when I was in Kennesaw, he said that actors are not liars. We are people who are trained to tell the truth in imaginary circumstances. Oh, I love that. And so the nuance or the implications of that is, is that we are stripping away all the walls and all the masks that we have learned as humans to put up to protect ourselves. And we spend our college careers learning to fight our insecurities, Mm -hmm. to wrestle with our insecurities, to wrestle with our ego, to slay our ego, um, and learning how to literally embody somebody else's walk and somebody else's journey and to tell it truthfully, right? One of the biggest obstacles in terms of being an actor is judging your characters because sometimes your characters are going to do things that obviously don't make sense. Like you can just see it as Avery if I'm playing some guy named Chris. Mm. Chris, me and Chris, we are mostly alike, but there are things that I would do differently. And a lot of times when I come to the role to play Chris, if I am judging Chris's actions that comes out so palpably yeah. in my performance. Yeah. And that's where you get bad acting because I'm judging my character and I'm not empathizing with them and telling their truth in that moment. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't able to articulate that necessarily, but that's what they're experiencing when they see a bad performance. Avery Sharp recorded back in 2021 on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment, but first, a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, which is AIJCast.com, of course. And that's where you can find links to our artists, 
including their news, information, and products. By the way, we're at episode 18 of season 20, which means we've got two more archival episodes to go before we jump into season 21. We've got some exciting things planned for that, so do stay tuned. You can find updates at AIJCast.com. All you got to do is check on that little link that says news. And of course, there's so much more on our website, which once again is AIJCast.com. And now back to more of our 2021 conversation with Avery Sharp. Then acting, when you're playing a character that is the villain, you know, writ large, villains that are played well are ones in which somebody finds the element of truth in what they're doing. Yeah. And rarely are things so crystal clear between good and evil, especially when you're talking about a play that's trying to illustrate some deeper truths. So even the villains have something truthful to say. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes along with the line of everybody's the hero of their own story. (laughs) Yeah. I still have yet to find the person or the character who's like, I am doing something evil and I know it's evil and I know it's wrong, but I cling on to it anyways because I'm just an evil person, right? Right, right, it's, right. The cartoonish kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's very nuanced and it's very complicated and it's layered and people are people. Mm. And we all believe that we're trying to do what we think is right or we think how the world should be, hmm. which is why I think going all the way back up that ladder, as we were talking about before, your worldview or the deepest level of who a person is, which in my eyes is faith or like how you view the world, um, what you believe about who we're supposed to be as humans and why we're supposed to be as humans. Mm -hmm. I think going down to that deepest level is the secret sauce that makes a well-rounded, grounded, dynamic human being and thus character too. I mean, if we, we push that faith point a little bit further it's the belief that every human being is created in the image of god so it's finding that sacredness within them even when it's really hard i mean there you know think historically in present times there are people that it's very difficult to see where there's any kind of child of god within them yeah and being able to kind of lean into that. I mean, we're talking very specifically about acting as a craft and not about uh, many other ways to be in the world, but that trying to find that piece of that thing that says, how is this character that I'm portraying a child of God? What is it in them that is actually pure goodness, even if it is broken and distorted by time and circumstance and personality and so on? It reminds me a lot of Paul of Tarsus, right? From the Bible. At any point in Paul's life, you can get a different Paul. You want right? to get a villain, he's right there, man. He's right out of central casting. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Like, and uh, mm. when we approach characters or even people for that matter, there's always something that um, nobody's beyond redemption and nobody is beyond needing empathy and needing mm. the very things that has been given to us so that we can spread. Right. Yeah. Because the only reason why we can be people who, walk in goodness or walk in good works is because somebody has shown us what that looks like. Spinning off of that, let's talk about your play Woke Yeah, that you created and how that came about and more about the play itself. So I had never uh, written anything before and this was 2016. So I just had left school at 2015. So I was pretty much fresh into the industry. Right. 
and I was acting and I had some pretty early successes and I, I'm so thankful for that. And so 2016 obviously was around the first Trump election. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look back in the history books, I really do think 2016 is going to be one of those 9-11 moments where mm. the whole world changed. Mm. And I think a lot of that had to do, of course, with the rise of social media. But I think the election cycle, at least in our context, sure. really added to just a polarization mm-hmm. that I hadn't really seen in my lifetime mm. as stark. I was really affected by how quickly people were willing to cut or sever relationship with each other Mm. because they didn't necessarily see eye to eye about things. Mm. Now, there are some times where the dissension was built out of, again, everybody believing that they're doing the right thing, right? However, I was really struck by how the lack of listening that everybody Mm. was doing Mm. and the lack of trying to find that bridge that connects us. Mm. We were burning bridges and we're celebrating it. And that Mm. really affected me as a person. And so I, you know, was being an artist and I was like, oh, I'm feeling my feelings. So let me write it (laughs) down, man. So um, what kind of came out of this thought experiment, right, of like, what does it look like for two people to be on different sides of a worldview and not cut each other off, not sever relationship with each other, but instead in humility and love, how do they walk together have these conversations, disagree, and still commit to loving each other. Hmm. And so I'm an improv guy, right? So I just love the art of improv and what it does. And so essentially, I was getting my feelings out by putting two of these characters in a room and just seeing what they said to each other. Hmm. And out of that, a play came into existence. And this play basically follows the journey of two high school kids, one's white, one's black. Um, They grew up in Atlanta. And they have uh, the shootings of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling happen, right? Because if you remember, those happen one day after each other Mm -hmm. within a 24-hour period Mm -hmm. for the black community. And and for a lot of people, that was just a lot in that time. And so in the play, that happens. And these two friends, they have differing worldviews about why it happened. Mm. And then it was attached to their families, too, and their friends. And so it basically chronicles how these two high school kids, as they grow up into college, how they wrestle with these very real problems that we're facing in the world about race and equity and um, inclusion. And what does that mean on the ground, right? Mm. Yeah, but ultimately it was about how they still love each other and how they fight to be together, even though they're down to the core, their worldviews are different. You're raising so many interesting points that, I mean, building on all the things that we've talked about of empathy and the image of God within the other, and people see themselves as the hero of their own stories, and we're shaped by all these other things that are factors on us that we have no control over. And we also have to be very careful not to fall into kind of these false equivalencies. Yeah. Where it's like, well, all worldviews are equally valid. Yeah. Or there isn't some kind of universal T-truth about certain things. And what we're talking about is very messy. And yet, I think at the same time, there are some things like equity and historic inequities that are just crystal clear. How do we make sure that we 
do those two things together? Yeah. You know, how do we take a stand while having empathy for those with whom we disagree and being able to listen, but not sacrifice things that are so critically clearly true. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's something that I was wrestling with in this show too. One of the lines that I think was really getting to the heart of this issue is one of the characters says, acknowledge your privilege and listen. Yeah. Acknowledge your privilege and listen. I think out of context, that sounds like that somebody black is saying that to a white person, right? What I was trying to do is subvert that expectation too. Mm. So throughout the play, you get it from different people talking to different people, no matter Mm. the race, gender. Because I think what's interesting and something that I explore a little bit in the play with is how we all have intersections of privilege just as we have intersections of marginalization. And so there is something, I think, very difficult in a balancing act when there are some times where you're in the right Mm. about a social injustice or an inequity and you have the right worldview or point of view about why this is inequitable. Right. And yet still, right, you have to acknowledge the privileges that you have in even knowing the right worldview hmm. and listen and try to do your best to in humility and love to help shape or to walk in relationship with somebody in a way that is building bridges as opposed to burning them. Hmm. And that's really the hardest part, right? Yeah. Is even when you're in the right, still having the patience and humility to walk and to release your rights for the sake of another, right? Mm. Because that's literally what Jesus does for us. Mm. He is completely in the right, right, and yet he gave up his rights and he gave up the things that he was right about yeah. so that he can walk and usher and love somebody <sighs> And here's the thing, it's not easy, right? It's difficult, it's painful, it's hard. And I think that is what we're trading in. And I see it in every facet of our society where we're trading in convenience or ease for the things that are good and right and grounded and whole. Hmm. And that's why we prefer a Hot Pocket over a home-cooked meal, right? That's why we prefer um, having text conversations rather than a face-to-face conversation when we disagree. That's why we are so quick to jump on Facebook with our problems or with our grievances, and we are slow to deal with ourselves or slow to walk in love and humility with another person. Mm. We're losing the spice of life because we're trying to go too fast or we're trying to make things too easy or too clean. Mm. But as we were kind of started this thing off with, it's so much messier than we ever really want to tap into. Wow. I mean, that's a tough word. That's a fair word. I think about how when you're talking about issues like abuse, yeah, there's this kind of phrase that we throw out, well, forgive and forget. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness only counts if you don't forget. I agree. (laughs) If I forgive and forget, then it's within what's the point. Right. And forgiving doesn't mean that I'm going to continue to put myself in a situation where I will be subjected to harm. Absolutely. And I think those are all kind of the nuances of what we're talking about, right? So to be a black man in America means to be unfairly targeted by the police just by virtue of who you are. And there is hardcore data to back that up. It's not a question of interpretation. Exactly. And so to be aware of that and to be in relationship with folk and to continue to have those conversations, that's something that I don't have to do as a white guy. Yeah. And so to be able to inhabit that, but also be willing to say, you know what, I'm taking myself out of this conversation because right now... 
I'm only human. Absolutely. And that's something that all those nuances in the play I wrestle with too. Yeah. Because again, at the same time, and I think that kind of God in his nature lives in these paradoxes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lives in these two things that seem contradictory, but they coexist perfectly without taking away the essence of the other. And so I think there is this aspect as a black man where it's like, it's not my job to educate anybody, right? However, if I am able and willing to meet whoever, wherever they are, Mm -hmm. yes, it's going to take time. Yes, it's emotionally taxing, mentally taxing. But if I think that it's worth the relationship or it's honoring even to God just to love this person Mm. in this way for this moment, then I think it is our ability to gird ourselves for the opportunity. Avery Sharp on AIJCast. You can connect with him online through his Instagram, where his handle is Avery.Sharp. That's Sharp with an E. On our next episode, we continue our look back into the archives and our conversation with advocate, educator, artist, Nora Batty. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. It is times like these that remind us to support the things that we care about, and we hope that AIJCast is one of those things for you. If so, we invite you to head over to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on that lovely little link that says support. And we love to share the socials media with you. We are there on a multitude of platforms where our handle is AIJCast. Our theme music comes from our house band, Mard Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the always average Al Mudif, who always loves to do an impression of me behind my back. I'm just an evil person. And I'm your host, Martham Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I hope you paint your own canvas with justice and peace.